These are the tribulations of Paulette. As it turned out, Dave didn't do an altogether bad job touching up my roots. He drew the line at washing my hair, though, so there was no scalp massage or blow dry like I get with Hal. But we saved a hundred bucks, and I look good enough to go on job interviews now. In the meantime, stuff keeps breaking at our house, and we don't have the dough to fix it. In addition to having to use a butter knife to close the door of our refrigerator every time, the roof leaks into certain closets. The air conditioning in the TV room doesn't work. The house alarm needs to be bypassed six times in order to be set, and the display controls for the stereo have all burned out. Dave reminds me that these are high-end problems. He does his best to fix stuff, but a lot of it is so technical that no one but a highly paid specialist could help. High-tech stuff yields high-tech problems. Wish we had thought of all this when we were renovating the place. Our cat, Rosemarie, had dental surgery, and they took out every tooth in her head except for the front top and bottom canines, which the cat dentist tells me I need to brush daily. Yay, more chores for mom! This morning, while I'm on Indeed.com scouring job postings, I notice that Veterinary Services of America, the new parent company of my cat hospital, is looking for someone to do marketing. Gee, that shouldn't be too hard. I pay the $3,000 bill for the dental surgery, then apply for a job with these crooks. I go upstairs to start what looks like 20 loads of laundry, which is depressing because I did 20 loads of laundry two days ago. While the first load is in, I go in to clean the boys' bathroom because Dave says we can only have Susanna once a month until one of us gets a job. Here's a really pretty scene. One of the kids evidently enjoys snacks while doing his business. There's an empty bag of chips on the floor beside the toilet and a soda can perched on the edge of the tub. I am raising animals. So much for all these years I spent at home nurturing. These kids are going to grow up and before I know it they'll be eating chips while they poop in their own bathrooms. This almost brings a tear to my eyes. Just as I finish cleaning up the mess, I get a text from my high school boyfriend, Ted, asking if I'm free to chat. I ignore it. It would be tempting to say that the downfall of my husband's career had something to do with my fooling around with Ted during the flush times when I didn't have a care in the world. But this theory has been ruled out by my best friend, Dolly, who says that three smooches with Ted or whatever it was, could not possibly have caused Dave's firm to fail. Yet Catholic guilt persists. Who was I to dare to do such a thing? I already had too much pie. Something had to give. But even though I haven't seen Ted since the high school reunion, the old issues still exist. I still feel like kissing him. And I'm terrified that if I follow my instincts... Dave will meet an untimely end. Gotta stay the course. Keep Dave alive.
Back in the laundry room, I realized that this would be a perfect time of life to start quote-unquote the magic of tidying up. After I change a wash load, I grab a large trash bag and go to my closet. Like all books these days, I only read the reviews, but from the review of that bestseller, I glean that I'm supposed to throw anything away that doesn't make me smile anymore. Great. Here's my ratty old what used to be pink bathrobe. I snatch it from the hanger, ball it up, and go to throw it in the bag when a pang of nostalgia hits me. I nursed three kids wearing that robe. How will it fare without me? Buried under mounds of fetid garbage in a dump somewhere. Is that what this robe deserves? This Mother's Day robe that has served my children and me so well? I would hate to face God in heaven and have to answer why I tossed this robe. Catholic guilt again. I hang it back up and close the closet door. Well, that was fast. Pure magic, in fact. Back I go to the laundry room, and I'm in high-fold mode when my phone rings. Caller ID says it's my father's cell, but when I answer Dad... His wife of 25 years, Brenda, is on the phone. Uh Uh-oh. There's never been any love lost between Brenda and me. In fact, I feel fairly certain that this is the first time she ever called me for any reason. She dispenses with a greeting, and I brace for bad news. You need to come and see your father soon. He's on his last legs. Then she hangs up. I call my sister, who says she received a similar call, as did both of my brothers. We decide to drop by tomorrow, which is Saturday. I've watched while the parents of friends have dropped off the planet over the past five years, increasing in number like we're heading towards some kind of mass extinction. Looks like it's going to be my family's turn soon. The next day, I pack two of my kids in the car and head south on Route 95. I arrive at Brenda's A-frame house, which is where Dad moved when he took up with her. Brenda got the house, which is kind of a relic of the 70s, as a consolation prize after an attempt to bag a married surgeon went awry. The surgeon still lives with his wife, whom he never left, in the house behind Brenda and Dad. He just doesn't hop over the fence anymore. Dad always waves to him from the patio while Brenda looks away. Dad didn't escape quite so easily. After he took a stab running the Ocean State Marathon and ended up with a herniated disc, he met Brenda post-surgery. As the nurse in charge at his hospital, she routinely scanned the list of inpatients until she found an unattached retiree. She went in to check on his scar, and then Dad told her about some other scars, and that was that. My siblings and I could accept that our parents had parted ways months before. We just had trouble with Dad's choice. You know how some people marry the same person they divorced? Not Dad. Brenda and my mom, Nancy, are complete opposites. And that suited Dad just fine, because that meant he could keep loving mom. In a strange way, it was a compliment to her. 
And in terms of complete opposites, let's just say that the 200-pound Brenda likes Christmas-themed toilet paper and once told my son TJ that she quote-unquote never got along with vegetables. We arrive at the house and greet my sister and brothers who are already there. Everyone is in the den in front of a massive television set watching the Red Sox. Dad's oxygen line runs across the hall into their bedroom. He takes a big sip from a pink drink and gives me a thumbs up as I walk into the room. What's in that, I say, gesturing to the drink as I bend over to kiss his head. (sighs) Pomegranate martini, he says. Brenda, make my kids one, he hisses to his wife, hardly able to breathe. Dad's skin is the color of stainless steel. My siblings and I glance at each other nervously. We join Brenda in the kitchen, where she's mixing up another pitcher of drinks. What's wrong with him? I ask Brenda. His heart is giving out, she says, pouring vodka. Wait a minute, his heart? My brother asks. Last time you said he had a pulmonary issue. Which is it? It's his heart. You know, he had that bypass operation ten years ago. Those don't last forever. Just a minute, I say. They didn't stamp an expiration date on the bottom of his foot after the surgery, did they? What diagnostic tests has he had that lead you to believe that it's his heart? Listen, Brenda says, I'm a nurse, and I know a lot more about this stuff than you do. Ah, you were a nurse once, Brenda, my brother says, 30 years ago. What tests has he had? Who's his doctor? Are we allowed to speak with the doctor? It's none of your business who his doctor is, she says. He's my husband and I'm in charge. She pours the contents of the pitcher into four huge martini glasses. Cheers, she says, and walks out of the kitchen with the remainder of the pitcher, assumed to be meant for Dad. Should Dad be drinking martinis if his heart is giving out, my sister asks? Again, we all glance at each other nervously. My brothers dump their drinks into the sink, go in to say goodbye to Dad, and take off. My sister and I sit down on the sofa with Dad. He tells us that he doesn't feel well and wants to lie down. Brenda is munching on a large bowl of buttered popcorn, absorbed in the game. Without looking at us, she gestures to the bedroom. Bring him in there, she says. We help Dad across the hallway and get him situated on top of the bed. We prop a couple of throw pillows behind his head, and we lie down on either side of him. We begin a rousing game of state capitals, just like when we were little. Brenda's shadow soon darkens the doorway. She walks over to the bed, and we watch as she pulls the pillows out from behind Dad. His head falls limp back onto the mattress. Remember, she says to Dad, you don't like these pillows. My sister and I are horrified. Dad says, okay, I'm going to take a nap now. And he closes his eyes. We walk back to the kitchen where Brenda is making another batch of Jiffy Pop microwave popcorn. It was nice of you to come, she says. I hope you know that every time you see him now could be the last. On our way out, my sister comments that on the bright side, every time we see Brenda now could also be the last. Back at home, I am delighted to receive an email that Veterinary Services of America would like to interview me at their Boston location on Monday. 
Excellent. I note the address. Lake Avenue in Brighton. Hmm. That's the former headquarters of the Archdiocese of Boston. I Google Veterinary Services of America and find, to my utter surprise, that they are in the process of being sold to a Wall Street firm by the Catholic Church. In the perfect circle of three, I have given up Ted, decided not to give up my old pink bathrobe, and may end up going to work for what the Catholics used to own. Not to mention, I feel pretty confident. I've gotten kind of good at tidying up messes made by animals. These are the very cool sounds of Mr. Eric Fontana. It's Wackadoodle Time at the hospital with Dad. Till then, ta-ta.